Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here, and on this week's podcast, we're going to be chatting about online marketing with Ryan Robinson. Before we get into the interview, I want to thank FreshBooks, who have kindly sponsored this podcast. I tried a number of accounting softwares over the past few years, and I feel that FreshBooks is the best, especially since they've redesigned it. Now go check it out yourself, and to do that, FreshBooks have kindly offered listeners of this show a free 30-day trial. To claim that, just visit freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek, and be sure to enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. This week, I wanted to do something a little different. So far, this podcast has focused on logo design. However, I'm well aware that a lot of listeners are freelance graphic designers or business owners who are constantly looking for clients, but sometimes they don't know where to start. I went part-time freelance just over a year ago. And during that time, not at any point have I needed to actually search for work. And that's because I have clients who simply find my website and get in touch. I'm constantly busy and I'm almost always booked out months in advance. And for that reason, I'm incredibly grateful. Now, how have I done that? I've done that by leveraging SEO, which stands for Search Engine Optimization, which is essentially the art of getting your website ranking on Google in the natural listings. Now, we discussed SEO briefly in the last episode with Kyle Courtright, but on this week's episode, I wanted to deep dive. So I brought in an incredibly experienced and talented online marketing expert, Ryan Robinson. Ryan has founded hugely profitable companies and is a frequent contributor to sites such as Inc, Entrepreneur Magazine, Forbes, and Business Insider, for example. He's currently a content marketing consultant for LinkedIn too, so I can assure you he really knows his stuff. Now, I learned a lot from this chat myself, so if you're totally new to online marketing, you're going to get so much out of this, but even if you do know a little bit about online marketing, I'm pretty certain that you'll get something out of this conversation too. Now, for starters, I feel that you need at least a blog. And for that reason, we start off this discussion on that topic. So let's get into this. I introduce you to Ryan Robinson. Someone who started as a freelance writer, um, I began branding myself as a freelance content marketer eventually. And that's kind of the, the branding that I've stuck with. And I think what really applies across the board to any freelancer, consultant, whatever title you want to call yourself in that realm, is that by having a blog, you give yourself an opportunity to showcase your work for one. So it's something that can extend beyond just a portfolio site where you you know, plug in a bunch of your best images. Um, you actually get the chance to talk about some of those images in like a more open format. So you can discuss, say, you know, case studies that break down working with a particular kind of client that you want to attract more of. And essentially what you're doing is you're creating opportunities for yourself to then reach out to some of these similar companies that you've already landed some work with. So kind of an example to bring that back home to the way that I use my blog in this capacity is um, I'll publish super in-depth content that I'm thinking, all right, I know at least five or six companies that would totally pay me to create this type of content for their websites too. 
And so I'll publish what I think is, you know, basically the perfect example of what they want. Um, and then I'll reach out to them and say, hey, like, I featured you in this post on my blog. Would you mind checking it out real quick? And I think the same thing applies to designers, too, because they can, you know, basically pull a bunch of inspiration and style points from, you know, what a company that maybe like like Squarespace, Squarespace rather, um, has a very clear design aesthetic. You can pull some inspiration from that, put together some sort of project on your blog that sort of emulates their style and maybe take some interesting new spins or tweaks on what they're doing. And you can create this example of basically a living pitch to work with Squarespace in a more hands-on capacity. Um, and then it's kind of just a matter of, you know, finding the right person to reach out to, coming up with the way to introduce that conversation and then you know, who knows where it can go from there. Not everything turns into a deal when I do this kind of outreach, but eventually it always leads to meeting interesting people and, you know, people job hop. So you never know where they'll land up. And it's kind of a game of just building relationships based around your work and providing value. How I've used my blog is similar to how you've described. Uh, for example, I've done a few process type posts where I've gone into detail showing the steps I took from initial client meeting through to the final logo. Um, I've also done a few guides, such as how to create a logo design brief, for example. And I found content like that has attracted clients. It's people that's just simply stumbled across those posts and it's provided enough confidence for them to get in touch. I've also considered using blogs as a way to rank on Google for specific keywords related to projects that I'd like to work on. Uh, for example, uh, toy logo design, I would say write about my top 10 favorite toy logos and hopefully that blog will rank on Google for the search term toy logo design um, so that if there are toy companies out there that are looking for designers to work on their project, hopefully they come across me and then they get in touch and uh, things can go from there. Oh, totally. So Ryan, for those out there who don't already have a blog, how would they go about creating one? Ooh, so personally, I'm a fan of WordPress powered blogs. Um, it's just because of the all all the you know customization and flexibility you have um and especially if you're willing to learn just some like super basic html or css like you can really do anything with wordpress blog so yeah i mean like i i personally do my hosting through wp engine and they're just at like wpengine.com um it's a little bit more on like the premium pricing side but their support has been ridiculous like anytime i have a problem with anything like i just hit up their support chat and they solve basically any kind of problem for me so i've determined that you know for me i'm not that technical i want someone i want a um a hosting site that's going to be there to help me so you know you you have a ton of different options as far as hosting for wordpress sites you know things like hostgator um, the gambit is like really, really wide with hosting providers, but you know, basically any sort of web host that will allow you to install WordPress as your CMS. And then, you know, from there, choose the right template that you want. Um, 
And I, I always tell people like simple is the name of the game. So it's more important that you just start getting your content out there, start sharing your work, start talking to people about your work than it is to obsess over, you know, like the, the layout or the font. Um, granted, I know I'm talking to graphic designers here. Just get your message across as a starting point, And then you can tweak from there because, you know, the reality is like the first day you set up your blog, nobody's reading it. Like you said, it's more important to actually start writing than to focus on what your blog looks like. And basically, there's two situations that can happen here. You can either start writing, getting that content out there, um, start getting ranked on the search engines and start to find clients. Or you could sit there tinkering with your website and not do anything. So there are loads of good templates out there. There are sites like ThemeForest and um, you can take a out of the box template and just start writing. It's more important to do rather than to worry too much about how it looks. Right. And especially if your goal is like ultimately to to rank well in search traffic. And so, you know, like taking your example of like toy design or toy toy logo design, um, like you just got to get the content out there because it's going to take time to index in search results. And especially when you're first starting your blog, like your your domain authority is relatively low. And so, you know, domain authority is this thing that ranks basically the the authority and the strength of your website on a scale of one to 100 or sorry, zero to 100. Um, zero being where you'll start the day you launch your blog and 100 being sites like Google and Facebook. So on this spectrum of domain authority, once you start getting into the 40s, 50s, 60s or higher, which, you know, will probably take you years, um, then you start to be able to publish new content and have it get ranked by search engines on the first couple pages very, very easily. So it's kind of this this long game that you got to start investing in today Otherwise, yeah, you just sit there and spin your wheels, you know, wondering how people are going to find your blog without putting content out. And it doesn't really work that way. You have to just start writing, start publishing, start sharing, and start building more connections with people in your niche. Because ultimately, like, at the end of the day, everyone reading your blog is a person who's interested in what you have to say. So you have to give them a reason to want to come to your blog and come back for more. I think it's worth adding that when you first roll out your site on WordPress, what you can do at a later date is change your theme. Like WordPress makes it very, very easy just to go into like this backend CMS and essentially just click a few buttons and you can change everything about your website. So as long as the data is in there, you can then change and improve that as you go. But like Ryan said now, the most important thing is just to get the content out there so that you can start being indexed on Google. Yeah. Yeah. And I've used bunches of different themes too over the years. Um, like when I first got started, I think I just chose one of the free themes that comes built in with WordPress just so that I can start publishing. Right. Like that's, that's what I realized early on is, is going to be the way to get my name out there quickest. And then eventually like, as I started getting, you know, a couple of people to my site every day, I was like, all right, well, in, you know, there's also factoring in spikes of traffic where maybe I'd have a hundred people come from publishing something on Reddit or on like Hacker News. And so I, I started to see that some people were coming to my blog. Then I was like, all right, now I feel confident in investing, you know, a hundred bucks in the right theme that I feel like is is much better looking than the free out of the box one. And so I've actually been with the same theme now for 
gosh, I think three years. Um, it's called Optimize Press. I want to say it's a hundred bucks, maybe two hundred bucks. But it's also one of those situations where everything is like a visual editor. I don't have to do much as far as coding. Um, their support is ridiculous. Like anytime I break something or my site crashes because of a theme issue, they're able to hop in and fix it right away. So nice. that's kind of like my my approach to the whole blog thing is like I'm willing to pay a little bit of price premium just to have people that are really good at helping me. Five years ago, the bog standard out of the box WordPress theme was pretty ugly, but now it's not too bad. But I do think it's worth investing. There are sites like Theme Forest, and there's so many really nice themes out there, and and you can just literally take it. And there's some nice like add-ons so that you can build uh, specific layouts. So I'm the same as you, Ryan. I haven't changed my theme in probably two, three years. Just because, you know, you can go in there, you can edit it. And and if you know a little bit of HTML, all of these templates that you buy, they're all completely customizable as well. So you can make them look exactly how you want them to look. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So once you've got your blog set up, we've touched on this briefly, but how do you know what to write about? What advice could you give? Oh, man. So I think personally, when I'm thinking about pieces that I want to write now, it's much different than when I first started. So let's start with what I do now. So what I do now is basically like, I'll have a thought that is just very compelling to me, or like, I'll identify a question that people always comment on one of my posts or send me as an email. And I'll say like, okay, like enough people have asked me about this, I'm going to create a post about that. And so that's very different from when I first started. When I first started, I actually didn't really know what I wanted to write about. Um, this was actually before I was taking the freelance stuff very seriously. I was I was working a full-time job. Um, I was somewhat content with it, um, and I hadn't really dove into freelancing yet. So like, if you go back to the very first post on my blog, I want to say it's about how to set the Rick Ross grunt, like the <laughs> huh, as your text tone for iPhones, which is hilarious. I I decided a long time ago I was never going to delete it because I didn't want to to uh, erase that memory of where I first started. But, you know, I, I think that's a good lesson, too, for people. It's like you don't have to have this perfectly curated blog that's only about, you know, toy design. Like, just start going with whatever piques your interest. Like, find a topic that you are just so compelled to write about that you can't stop thinking about it. Um, and if you don't have something that jumps out in your mind like that, just start writing about something you're interested in. And so this is, like, such a common thing that plagues the, the you know, the writer who doesn't know what to write about. They They don't feel super, super compelled to any sort of topic. And I think if you just give yourself the permission to write without expectations, then something will come to mind. If you just force yourself to sit down at your computer and to start thinking through things that might interest you or problems you've identified, frustrations that you're seeing out there, like maybe go out and find a logo that absolutely sucks. Like why the hell is this thing out there? And then just do a freaking rant, like tearing it to shreds, do a critique and and, uh, you know, like maybe after doing that for an hour, take a look back at what you've written and see if it makes sense to structure that into more cohesive thoughts. And that right there could be 
a teardown. And that teardown can lead to maybe like a little rebrand that you attach to the post. Um, and that's something that companies would hire you to do. That's a really nice idea. I think it's worth adding to that as well. Like a lot of topics have already been written about, you know, several times. But what's really good with a blog is that people want want to read what you think. So, for example, uh, a new logo might come out and, um, you know, say Google redesigns their logo. There's all these sites out there talking about it. And, and what you can do with your blog is kind of put your take on it. And people like to read that type of thing. Oh, absolutely. And like, even if you don't have hundreds or thousands of readers who are just clamoring for your opinions, opinion on something rather, it doesn't really matter. Like guarantee, you know, five other designers that would be interested in your take. And maybe they also have an opinion on it. And maybe you can in include their opinion in your post and have kind of a little debate going on about what you do and don't like about it. And a post like that, you can honestly add to over time and start collecting, you know, opinions from other people that are blogging about it online. And maybe your post turns into this massive sort of comprehensive debate around Google's logo. Um, and that could turn into something that then eventually ranks in search engines. I know my very early posts, you're talking only like four years ago. To be honest, at that point, I didn't write that much. But I know that blogging was important for, um, you know, kind of reaching clients. So I just started writing and my very early posts, I look at them now, they're, they're actually not on my site anymore. I'd taken them down because the content wasn't good. But they were very, very short. Uh, they had spelling mistakes in them. But by doing, I've also improved. So I know that there will be a few people out there that will be thinking, you know, writing's not my thing. I, I'm not a fan of doing that. But it's worth adding that if you do want to reach clients, a blog is a fantastic way to do it. And everyone I've spoken to so far on this podcast, they have done blogging and online marketing, and it's important for any freelancer. So you just need to start, like Ryan has said. And well, I found from personal experience, the more that I've done it, the better that I've got. And as time has gone, I've been able to take some of those older posts and kind of redo them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so say I've written a blog now. You know, I've got my blog and everything set up, but I want to find people to read. And I also want to get this on page one of Google. What advice can you give to um, get readers to your blog? I think there's two. So there's two separate questions for sure in there, mm -hmm. um, because I think that ranking on Google on page one of Google or, you know, top three results of Google is kind of a different beast. So let me tackle that first and then I'll get to how to get to readers. So yeah, ranking on the first page of Google. In all my experience doing this, like this is what I do as a freelancer, as a consultant for my content marketing clients. Um, and in my experience, the best path to ranking on the first page of Google is to have this like ideal mix. And it's hard to really quantify the exact components of everything that needs to go into this mix, especially because Google is pretty guarded around like how they rank certain posts in certain orders. So this mix I'm talking about is backlinks from highly authoritative sites. So, you know, for what I do, I write about a lot of business and freelancing related content. And like my post on how to start a freelance business is now ranking, I want to say like in, in the top three on if you Google wow. search like how to start freelancing or how to start a freelancing business. Um, no. 
And the way that it got there is by me manually going out and getting tons and tons of backlinks to point back to that post. So I'm a contributor on Forbes, Entrepreneur, Business Insider, a bunch of these like massive publications in the world of business. And so when I can tastefully link back to that post as you know, what has shown to be a very good resource helping freelancers, I will. And that adds authority. That tells Google, like, okay, this this site, Forbes, which is, you know, one of the most authoritative sites on the website or on the uh, World Wide Web, points back to this post on how to start freelancing. So that's a signal. And I replicate this, I mean, I think for that post, uh, it's I've deemed it really, really important for my traffic. So for that post, I want to say I've written probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 guest posts for different kinds of publications, um, high authority business blogs. And again, like when I say high authority, I'm talking about domain authority. Um, and you can check the domain authority of a site when you're evaluating whether or not to to guest post on there by going to a, a tool that Moz has. Moz is spelled M-O-Z dot com. Um, and I, I want to say it's called the keyword research tool. And if you just basically copy and paste a domain into this keyword research tool, then it'll tell you what their domain authority is. And so when I'm looking for sites to guest post on, like, again, I'm thinking sites that got to be at least 50, 60, 70 plus um, in order to transfer a lot of authority back to my posts that I'm going to tastefully link to. So we've got this component of backlinks from high authority sites. Um, and then also social signals, like getting some social shares. And when I say some social shares, like ideally into the thousands, but that's difficult to do and it's difficult to do quickly. So I kind of spread out how much effort I'm putting into getting social shares. Um, I'll do like uh, spend 50 bucks on Facebook ads right when I publish a new post that usually gets it 100, 200, 300 likes, mm. which is a good starting point. It brings in some readers. And then I'll do what I um, what I have started using like I don't know three four months ago this new tool called Q Promote and it's spelled Q U U Promote and basically like they have sixty thousand people who have signed up for this service um, where you connect your Twitter Facebook Instagram LinkedIn to Q Promote um, and you agree to share one or two three sometimes more pieces of content per day that gets submitted to this site. And so you can pay to have submissions to this site and then it'll get looped through, say, you know, my Twitter account or Ian, if you're signed up on uh, Q Promote, then the piece that someone submits will get shared through your Twitter account within a couple of days. Nice. And so okay. it's kind of this cool network effect of tapping into people that have large social followings already. So even if you're, you know, you've got a hundred followers yourself, like you can get your articles shared by people that have tens or hundreds of thousands of followers by using some tools like this. And so, you know, add that into the mix. Um, and then sort of shifting over to getting some of your early readers. Like I'm, I'm a huge proponent of going first to the, the friends, the families, coworkers, you know, people that you went to school with, like, these are people that are interested in you as a person, and maybe they're interested in what you have to talk about with your blog content too. And so identify who those people are, 
Um, sure, you can share on Facebook, you can share on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, like share on all your social accounts. It's not it's not going to hurt. Um, but invest some time into thinking about the story you want to tell around that post. So instead of just posting the link on your Facebook, um, tell a little story about why you wrote that post, what compelled you to write it, um, the reason that this had to come out of your head and onto paper. And then people are going to be much more invested in sharing that and reading that. I just want to take a short break to talk about FreshBooks who have kindly sponsored this podcast and made it possible. When I started Loka Geek, it was a side venture. I was taking on projects now and again just for fun and I was doing my invoices in InDesign and was managing my profits and expenses in Excel. But when I took the leap and I started to take on more projects, this really wasn't working for me. Everything took so much time and that was time I really needed to spend working on my client projects. And I found FreshBooks to be the perfect solution as I could quickly and easily create professional looking invoices. And I also had clear visibility on my profits and expenses too. FreshBooks have kindly offered uh, you, the listener of this podcast, a free 30-day trial. Uh, to check it out, just visit freshbooks.com forward slash logogeek and be sure to enter logogeek in the how did you hear about us section. Now let's get back to the interview. But then, yeah, like beyond that, go to some of the online communities where you know other designers hang out. Uh, I'm not personally well-versed in what the design communities are. Ian, maybe you can weigh in on that. Yeah, I've actually got my own, which is called the Logo Geek Community, and that can be found on uh, Facebook. It's free, and at the time of recording this podcast, it's only about three months old, um, but we've just hit 1,000 users. So if any listeners want to access that, uh, they can do so just by visiting logogeek.uk forward slash community. And there's also sites like, what, Designer News? Isn't that one that's kind of like an upvote? Style uh, to be honest there's loads out there like all, all you need to do is go on sites like facebook and if you have a look at the um communities on there uh there's so many there i mean I, i'll be honest there's a few of the open groups that are a little bit it's quite poor quality like there's a lot of people in there but the quality of the people is it's it's not people that you'd really want to to read your blog but there's a lot of these smaller uh niche groups which are very very good and um yeah you can just do a quick search and you know join as many as you can and um you know you'll you'll get to know which ones are good quite quickly yeah and ultimately you're gonna just have to test it out and see which ones are working for your audience too so I've been through so many different online communities. Like for me, talking about like business related stuff, freelancing related stuff, um, Reddit is good for me. Um, Hacker News is good for me because I'm tapping into the tech based community with Hacker News. Um, places like growthhackers.com, which is really about marketing. Um, inbound.org is also about marketing, a little bit about writing. Um, so yeah, find your communities online and just actually start connecting with them before you go in and, you know, spam people with links to your blog posts. Um, that's the the fast track to getting booted from groups. I've been booted from LinkedIn groups years ago for hopping in and just sharing links to my articles before, you know, actually connecting with real people and engaging in the comments and maybe asking the group moderator if I can share my article. So... Mm-hmm. 
you know, test your way into what works for you. Ultimately, if you find that you're not getting traction from a certain group, ditch it and move on to something else. I mean, it's I'm that's something that I still do with my blog content is I'm always testing through different ways to drive in readers. And some of the stuff I try works, some of it doesn't. From from the point of view of posting in uh, like communities, being someone that's moderating them, most of these groups generally have rules to them. So make sure to read those. And I mean, if, if there is something that you want to promote and, you know, you're not 100 percent certain if it's OK, just check, just check with someone that's moderating it. Like normally they're uh, they. They, they would just tell you straight if they don't want you to post that in there or not. Um, but yeah, read the rules and, you know, when you do post it, don't just post the link, you know, kind of give some context to it so that people can have a conversation around that content rather than, you know, it just being like a, a one-way conversation. It's like the, the, the whole point of communities is to have a conversation. So if you post in there, you want to encourage people to talk around it. Okay, Ryan, I, I have um, a quick question based on something that you mentioned earlier. Now, you mentioned that uh, like a key component is to get backlinks from big publisher sites. Now, do you have any advice for attracting those links or how do you get the opportunity to post on these big sites? Yeah, that's a great question. So, if, you know, when we're talking about um, publishers that maybe live at the intersection of business and design. I feel like Fast Company or Fast Co Design, I think is their other domain, would kind of be like the ideal for a designer. And when we're talking about getting published on sites like that, first thing you should do is just Google how to get published on Fast Company um, because they actually have written a lot on Fast Company about the best way to get published there. And so you know, I wouldn't want to hop in and give you advice that goes counterintuitive to what they're saying works. Um, but I can tell you what has worked for me in getting published on sites like that. Um, so for me, like I, I never submit the contact form thing to become a contributor or email just random posts to the contributors at fastcompany.com. Like I, I don't do that because you know, in the very, very early days when I wanted to get published on these sites, I tried that once or twice, obviously never heard back um, because these people are getting hundreds, if not thousands of emails into that inbox every day of people wanting to get published on these sites. So you have to do what you can to stand out from the crowd. And the way that I do that, going full circle here, is to use my blog as a starting point to to jumpstart this entire process. So Basically, what I will do is I will identify a short list of writers for the publication that I want to get featured in or become a writer for myself. And I n note that these are writers and not editors, um, not people that work in marketing, not people that are in HR. Like I'm, I'm specifically targeting other contributors, people that do exactly what I want to do. So I'll make this short list of three to five different contributors for these sites um, and I will mention them, link to some of their content. The majority of them have their own blogs, so I'll link to their blogs um, in posts across my own personal blog. And then I'll reach out to these contributors, these writers, and I'll say, you know, hey, I featured you in my blog post. Would you mind checking this out and letting me know what you think? And when you start with something 
that sort of basic, that value providing without asking for anything in return yet, the majority of people are going to get back to you. Uh, Maybe they'll get back and say, thanks, and that's it. Maybe they'll get back to you and say, you know, thank you. Oh, this is awesome. Like, we should totally find some more ways to collaborate together. Like, you never know how someone's going to respond. And by doing this tactic with three to five people, you're increasing your odds of getting a response back from someone who's really, really stoked and, you know, thankful that you linked to them. And so that kind of provides the basis for me to build a relationship with another contributor at these sites. So... As you can tell, this is a very long-term strategy, right? I I don't think you can just immediately pitch the majority of these sites and get a post published. Um, You can. It's it's the exception to the rule. So I go with this relationship-building approach, um, and then once I feel like I've provided enough value to these other contributors, I'll ask them um, if they know who the right point of contact would be for me to reach out to as far as becoming a contributor. Um, And at that point, sometimes they'll offer me just an email address. Um, Other times they'll offer to connect me, to introduce me. Um, And you have to make that ask eventually at a point when you feel like you've delivered enough value to them. Because if you don't make that ask, they're never going to proactively think like, oh, this guy should become a contributor. Um, I shouldn't say never, but rarely, like you got to ask for what you want eventually. And, you know, like for me, I get pinged by my editor at Forbes all the time asking if she knows or asking if I know of other people who are um, under 30 that write about business that might be a good fit to become a contributor for the under 30 team. So for all you know, this person that you're talking to, this contributor for a fast company might be getting those kind of messages from his or her editor as well. And they might just be looking for the right person to present themselves as, you know, a genuine contributor who is good at writing, also good at design. And so this is basically the process that I've used to become a contributor on all the different sites I write for. I really love that advice. I've um, written for sites like Creative Block Um, which is really good for getting exposure in general, but then you also get that backlink. And the way that I've been able to do that is by becoming an authority on Twitter and tweeting creative blocks content on a fairly frequent basis and tagging them in in that and i got to a point where obviously the uh the person that was running that account could see that i I have some authority around logos so how i've done it is just literally kind of tweeting every single day and building up a following and uh you know how to do that would take quite a while to explain so i could probably explain it in a separate um episode but by doing that i got invited to write for them and and now i've got that point of contact so there's so many different ways of doing it but i guess that the goal is to you know do it in like a a non-spammy way so i I find it fascinating like you said that those contact forms on those sites and, and those email addresses they don't work so doing it in a slightly different way obviously works so your advice, Ryan, is fantastic for that. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the the sharing on Twitter, too, because that is another strategy that I use, especially when 
I can't identify like, you know, the right contributor necessarily, or maybe I don't want to link to them from my blog because I can't, you know, take the time to write another post this week. Maybe I'll just share a couple of their pieces. And that gives sort of the outreach platform. And I have like a a ton of these different sort of cold outreach tactics that I, I talk about in one of my recent blog posts and um, actually a couple episodes of my podcast, but if you just go to ryrob.com slash cold, like I published a massive, massive post that talks through all of these cold outreach campaigns. I'm definitely going to read that and I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode as well. We're not even talking about like, if you have a podcast or if you have a YouTube channel, like use those as a tool to build relationships with the decision makers. So like, even for you, Ian, like if if you were to interview the founder of Creative Block or, you know, a couple of contributors who happen to write for Fast Company, like that's that's an amazing relationship building tool that you have. And you're doing them a favor, too. So they'll want to reciprocate value um, at the drop of a hat whenever you have something to ask for. Yeah, you're right. I mean, what 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 I find interesting with all of this is, I guess, like non-direct route is the best way to do it. So that, you know, they kind of see you as their friend in a way and, you know, they're bringing their friend into this. It, I mean, like we both know each other kind of indirectly through social media and, you know, through other people that are kind of you know, linked us in this exact same way. So I mean, it, it definitely works and awesome. Like uh, it's good advice and uh, everyone needs to try it. Yeah. Okay. So everyone that's listening to this will probably be thinking, I don't have time. I've got projects that I need to work on. I need to get that logo finished for that client. Do you have any advice for making time because I know that on the side of a full-time job you've built up businesses you know with profits of over $160,000 in a very short space of time so you must be doing something different to the average person can you give some advice for people that might be thinking I don't know how to make time for this Oh, absolutely. And I think I want to refer to this book I'm reading right now because it's just top of mind. Um, It's called Extreme Ownership, um, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. And it's written by a couple of Navy SEALs. And essentially, like the message of this is like, you are the person who's in command of your own destiny, what you do. You have to have very, very serious motivation um, in order to grow a side project up. And with that motivation, like that has to translate into discipline. And so for me, like one thing that I would say I I do differently or have done differently, especially back during my side hustle days, um, is that I would force myself to go to bed as close to 9 p.m. as possible um, at least three days a week so that I could wake up the next morning around 4 or 4.15 and get up and spend some focused time on my side hustle, which was freelancing and my blog, um, before I went into work and, you know, gave those hours, the nine to five hours to my employer. So I spent plenty of time trying to work on side hustle work after a full day uh, at my day job. Um, and I would be so damn tired like this. Just my creative energy would be gone. Um, I'd feel less productive with the hours that I did have. 
that's when I wanted to relax. And so I, I made a decision to give myself the best hours of my day. And so I, I turned the hours of like, call it 5 a.m. to 8.30, 9 a.m. as my side hustle time. And I would physically schedule those blocks of time on my calendar. And, and I treated that calendar as a commitment to what I need to do. And, you know, like the moment you violate that commitment, it's all downhill from there. So you have to really place a lot of importance and give a lot of respect to the commitment that you're making. So, you know, talking about going to bed earlier multiple times during the work week, carving out half a day on a weekend to work on side projects, um, it involves sacrifice. So, you know, less time spent going out with friends, um, you know, less date nights maybe during your week. So you have to involve the right people in your life who are stakeholders in your life. You know, maybe you have a significant other, you have a family, kids, like get your priorities straight and involve them in the decision-making process that's going to free up some hours of your day to work on a side project. So you have to know all the different inputs into your life and determine what's realistic for you. Because what's realistic for me, especially, you know, we're talking about when I was 24, 25 years old, like at the time I started working on all these side hustles, like I was single, you know, I, I had a social life as pretty much my only main outlet outside of work. So it wasn't difficult for me to cut away some of that social stuff. So know where you're at in your life, determine what's realistic, um, involve the other stakeholders in your life when you're coming down to creating the time for your side work, um, and then physically put that stuff into your calendar and respect it. So, you know, some of the tools I use to help respect that time is I have a Fitbit, Fitbit rather that I sleep with. It's like a, a wrist sort of activity tracker and it has a built-in alarm. So I'll, I'll set that alarm to go off at 4.15 in the morning um, so that I don't have like my iPhone alarm blaring and, you know, waking up my girlfriend. So just little things like that that make this an easier process for everyone involved. And then once you have created this time, seriously, you got to respect the commitment. Sometimes the work isn't even great, but that's okay. As long as I'm committing to sitting down and working on the client work or writing a blog post. Um, and for me, like I, I would always go to a coffee shop that was near my office um, because trying to work from home doesn't do so well for me personally. Um, I tried it a few times and really just made the call that like, I got to get out if I'm going to be productive. So maybe that's renting a breather space for an hour um, or just, yeah, going to a coffee shop, showing up at work early, whatever makes the most sense for you. I love that. It's brilliant. Okay. I know that you run a community for freelancers and I mean, there's obviously so much that everyone can learn from you. Can you talk through briefly, you know, where people can find out about that and um, how they can get involved and learn more from you? Yeah, totally. Um, so right now, actually, this is very timely um, that we're doing this interview because I'm, I'm working very hands on with a small number of freelancers, 10 people um, to help them two to three times what they're charging. 
um, for their work. And this sort of runs the gambit of freelancers. So I've got writers, marketers, um, designers, and developers in this diverse little pool of people that I'm helping um, very, very hands-on. And so I've got sort of that component to what I'm doing, and that'll soon most likely lead to a course offering sometime around the end of the year once I'm able to um, help these people get real results, see what was most effective, and translate that into more of a productized service offering. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've got that side of the component. Um, and then, yeah, I have uh, 30,000 email subscribers currently, um, most of which are freelancers. Um, you got some people in there that want to build blogs, um, do things like that. But for the majority, like everything on my site starts just at the homepage, ryrob.com. It's spelled R-Y-R-O-B. Um, and yeah, that's that's where everything's kickstarted. Um, I don't have a public Facebook group for freelancers yet. Um, I, I've been keeping it pretty closely held for just people who are in my programs only because my god i can only do so much <laughs> yeah yeah fantastic okay ryan you've given away so much value so thank you so much for your time and um yeah brilliant we're we're wrapping this up now cheers ryan all right thanks for having me Wow, this episode is full of gold. So many good takeaways. Um, So I hope you found this useful and will actually take action on a lot of the things that we spoke about. Ryan, thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much value with us in this episode. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Ryan and want to connect with him, just visit his website, ryrob.com, and that's about R-Y-R-O-B.com. He also has a podcast too that's full of value and he actually interviewed me as part of that. So if you want to listen to that interview, go and check that out. Show notes for this episode can be found at logogeek.uk forward slash podcast nine. If you'd like to talk about this episode with over 1000 other logo designers just like you, join the Logo Geek Facebook community and to find that just visit logogeek.uk forward slash community. If you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe, write a review, and if you know any other designers who might enjoy it, why not recommend it to them? So again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you, and I'll see you next time.